I am so excited for this next show. We are doing a untamed book discussion, and I've brought into the conversation three women who are going to join me today. Actually, it's the evening, but um, we had to get all our schedules together, and the evening was the most um, available for everyone. So it is an evening podcast. Most people have other people in their homes, so just be aware of that if you're um, catching this and you're hearing something weird in the background. But we are doing a book discussion on Glennon Doyle's Untamed. I have read this book twice. Both times. I was shocked. I was shocked and shaken to my core. Each time I read it, the shaking went a little deeper. It was just so profound. This book this woman. And tonight we are going to discuss what is in here and the pure gold, the beauty, the unlearning of what we have known to be our society, how we should be as women, how we should behave, act, how we should hold ourselves in the world. She asks us to break out of the cage to leave the cage and to move on to a life where we can trust ourselves. That's really what this is all about. Trusting ourselves, learning how to connect to who you are, who you were meant to be. Join me and Leah, Anita, and Anna, as we share together our experiences, our journeys, going to be vulnerable. It's going to be raw. It's going to feel intimate because these women are willing to share some of the sacred spaces of their soul's journey. And I have the privilege of doing the show with them. How exciting. So let me welcome my next guests on The Lori Clark Show. Maybe we could start by sharing just how did it strike you when you read it? Were you just like dirty pink bunny and a cheetah in a cage? How does this work? I guess, I guess for me, I had no idea what to expect. Um, And I, it just sort of shook me a little bit or sort of got me a little bit nervous. Like I was like, oh, this is going to be really interesting. You know, it sort of set the stage for something, you know, untamed, something kind of powerful yeah. that was going to grow. Um, and just such a great way to just right off the bat be like, this is something to think about. Mm. Um, yeah. So it sort of just set the mood, I guess, for me. I think um, that is really important because I the way she describes it, it's so visceral. You feel all of it. You do feel like there's something that's kind of like mysterious or what is she going to do? What are we going to talk about that's so untamed? And what could I as a woman possibly have inside of me that's untamed? Um, I've been to South Africa and I've been to Kruger Park on a safari 
And I feel like that's kind of where it took me was that I've also been to an Alder Grove Zoo. And so (laughs) when you think through where an animal should be living, um, it's obviously in Africa, in the wild. And I think I was just able to put myself in in the mindset of what it would feel like after watching those animals, even the ones that were lazing about on a hot, sunny day, just enjoying what should be theirs in that environment um, versus Tiger King and the beginning of COVID and, and that situation. And so I think there was just a lot to unpack in that and in thinking through like, what are we born to do? And where has the world told us yeah. to become? And and are we who yes. we should be? Yeah. Right. That is really important. I think that's the question that we can all lead with, which is after Anita goes, that's the question. Are we all who we should be? Um, I was really excited when I read that, just because I thought um, I read a lot. Um, and more kind of books like this. I'm not a big fiction reader per se. Mm. Um, so I was actually really excited because I was like, oh, thank God somebody's going to be real. Because I like to read books about people that are raw and that are real because I think there's enough, I don't know how else to put it, but enough BS out there and people that aren't real and people that say what you want to hear and tell you what they think you you know, want to hear and all of that sort of stuff. So it was just, I was actually, I was really excited when I read it because I thought, okay, great. We're going on a journey and it's going to be a real journey and it's going to be one that's going to make me think and it's going to make me want to take pause. And the people that are going to love the book like I do are going to be my, my tribe, so to speak. Hmm. And the people that aren't, aren't going to like the book, so to speak. It's not that they necessarily aren't my tribe, but they may not be where I'm at on the journey or on the road. Um, and I loved your stuff about Africa because I have been to Africa too. And I thought those same things. And I thought about how we do uh, so much to fit in versus being our true authentic selves. And I personally am one that rocks the boat a little bit because I, I strive for authenticity and, and I'm, you know, a lot more spontaneous and stuff like that. But in the same token, I'm in so many ways, I'm very brave, but in the same token, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of vulnerability there that only certain people get the opportunity to see. Does that make sense? It's because a lot of people are like, wow, you're just way out there. And it's like, no, you may think I'm way out there because I'm way out there compared to most, but in the same token, there's always something that's reserved for me. If that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah. And it also sounds like you've been on a journey, like by you reading books like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it's, I love, like I said, and I thought it was interesting too, which I'm kind of jumping ahead, is that she's friends with Elizabeth Gilbert, who I loved her work. And so I was like, oh, wow, of course, because people find like people. And so, and when you find people that, and I was just, I was thrilled when I read that because she was talking about Liz all the way through. And I'm like, who's this Liz? And then I was like, oh, I know Liz. And to have, because she also writes in that very raw, very real way. And as a bit of a, they're both kind of boat rockers in the sense that they kind of go on their own journeys about finding their authentic selves and not only finding them, but having the courage to be their authentic selves, even though it rocks the boat of everyone around them. Um, Yeah. Which I thought was really good. Yeah. And I, I, you're, you've said so many things there that are really, really important. And isn't that what 
the breaking out of the cages, that's like the biggest thing that we can do for one another is to share what you've all shared and realize, oh my gosh, I know you, but you don't know each other. And you all can say, yeah, we have something in common. We, we value this. We showed up here. We are all levels of boat rockers at different periods in our life. And this is one way that you're going to disturb a piece of your life. And I, I was saying to this person today, not only am I disturbing my life, but I'm disturbing my daughters and my sons and their children, if they have them, because this is what change does. It becomes the effect. And when you get a raw story like Elizabeth Gilbert or Glennon Doyle, you immediately go, I have to have more of this. Mm -hmm. I have to have more of this. Um, In the prologue, she says, at the very end, she says, then she'd look back at the cage, the only home she's ever known. She'd look at the smiling zookeepers, the bored spectators and her panting, bouncing, begging best friend, the lab. She'd sigh and say, I should be grateful. I have a good life here. It's crazy to not long for what doesn't even exist. I'd say, Tabitha, you're not crazy. You're a goddamn cheetah. So when, when for, I mean, just, you know, pop up when you want to say the answer to this or whatever, but she talks, she leads with sparks, which I thought was interesting because spark is sort of, for me, it, it made me think of the first time in my life where I went, oh, there's something better here. Oh, I was made for something bigger. Oh, I think I have some. What's happening? What's, what thoughts I'm thinking? What things are interesting me? What's in, what, what am I reading? What am I doing? I want something. And there was this flame that lit and it came from a spark of all of those things for each of you. Where did that happen for you? Um, For me personally, um, it was more of me learning to be caged, so to speak. Um, I remember when I was 10, which I think I told you this story, Lori, I was 10 and I was, um, I was quite athletic when I was young. And so we had this thing at school before they gave everybody ribbons at sports days, you know, for participating. (laughs) This was actually the winners and, you know, first, second, third, that kind of thing. And anyway, I was, I was, I was a good athlete and I was never, I was never in your face. Um, hey, I'm better than you. I was never one of those kind of kids. Um, but I was really proud of myself because I was a really good athlete. And so I remember distinctly in grade five, two things happened on a sports day is I would always be first. Like I grew up in a small rural school. So let's put precedence here. It wasn't like 2000 kids. There was like 300 kids in the whole school. You know, it wasn't that big. Anyway, I used to get first in every event and um, in my age category every single year. And so when they would give a red ribbon to the first, you know, the first and blue and then a yellow ribbon. And anyway, I remember in grade five, because all the way along, it was just in my mind, it was just kind of a given. This is what you do and you're good at it. And it was like I owned it and I was proud of it, but I wasn't boastful or a jerk about it or anything else. Anyway, 
Um, I remember my girlfriend who was one of my closest friends asked me if I would fall down so that she could win just once. And I remember being a little kid and I was just kind of like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, and the thing that struck me was not bad. It was just, you're asking me to be less than I am so that you can win was mm. the first thing. And later, literally within hours, um, it was like a really hot June day and my parents were there and everything else. And I was wearing a t-shirt and a pair of shorts and I had, so after every event, they wouldn't like do it at the end of the day. After every event, they would pin a ribbon on you. And so you'd have like 10 events. You'd have like 10 ribbons across your chest. And that's what everybody did. They pinned them to their chest. And I had a chest full of red ribbons. And I remember my dad went to the car and got my coat and he gave it to me. And he said, here, put your coat on because you're making the other kids feel bad. And I remember being like, and he wasn't a jerk about it, but it was his because he was big, big, kind heart. And he was just like, honey, he said, the other kids are going to feel really bad because you've got all these ribbons. And I remember for the first time being like, okay, for you to be kind of accepted and um, my intention was never to make anybody else feel bad. Like that wasn't why I did it. And it was like a need and a 10 year old. It wasn't even a thought process that I'm trying to be, you know, in your face, I'm better than you or anything else. But all of a sudden it was like, Oh, you've got to dial you back so that other people can feel okay in that space. And it wasn't until years later and that sort of thing. I remember that story. Cause honestly, I forgot about it for years that you kind of unpack that. And I was like, kind of, that was the first time that I felt like I was had to put myself in a cage so that other people would be okay with me being larger than life, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Wow, yes, that makes sense. My first thought about the story you just told was I wonder if anyone would say that to a little boy. Oh, that's good. My first thought, nobody asks a boy to dim themselves down. They they expect them to win every blue ribbon. Yeah, very true. And then my other thought was like, did you feel, what an awful place to be put in that your friend asks you to be less than what you are and then you have to feel guilty Yeah. when you choose yourself at 10. Like, oh, 10. Yeah. Yeah, and it was. And I remember it, it was kind of like, it just struck me. Like, it wasn't like I was like, sad or I mean you're 10 right so you're not really thinking about stuff you're just kind of in the moment just doing your thing but it wasn't until afterwards that it was like wow I never even occurred to me that I was making other people feel bad because I was just being me I was just you know you do you and I'll do me and I was just doing me and I wasn't really like I said and not to be rude but I really wasn't thinking of anybody else I wasn't trying to make them look bad or feel bad or whatever I was just trying really hard to do my very best And my very best made other people feel bad and less than. And I was like, that just made me feel so bad inside and so guilty. And then it was like, after that, it was like, oh yeah, dial that back. Because you're not, my intention was never to hurt anybody. Anita, did you feel, how did that play out in your later years? So were you pushing yourself down or dumbing yourself down Suppressing yep, yourself absolutely. for in this, day, this still to this day, like it's funny because I got an award at work um, last year. My sister came to visit me and I had the award sitting in my office. She goes, oh, my God, like I didn't know about this. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got it. And she's like, why do you tell me like that's fantastic? Like, good for you. And I said, well, I said, what am I going to say? Hey, uh, you know, I'm really good at what I do. You know, like I said, and, I, and she kind of laughed and I said, you know, because I said at the end of the day, I said, it doesn't really like affect anybody but me. And 
And I said, I felt really good about it, but I just didn't really feel the need to share. And she was like, well, that's really sad. You know, I would have been your cheerleader. And I said, well, you're always my cheerleader. And I just kind of, kind of like brushed it off, but it wasn't like, you know, cause people post a lot on social media as, Hey, look at me, rah, rah, rah. I don't post a lot of that stuff on work. And I know it's, I know for a fact that it's, I don't dim myself like I used to, but I don't necessarily um, kind of voice my accolades or voice my wins and that sort of thing to anybody. Does that only happen for you when you are in a work environment or does that happen like in other personal private things? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's like, like I said, when I'm doing really well in my life, whether it's, you know, and all those things like, yeah, I just, I don't have a tendency to share, like I'll, I'll share, I mean, I'm trusting, <laughs> as you guys are learning, I'm pretty much an open book, um, but it's not that I don't share because I'm, I'm a really big sharer, but in the same token, <laughs> but in the same token, I'm not one that's like, Hey, um, rah, 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 I'm doing really well, whether that's right. with money or with, um, work or even with relationships. Like it was funny. I was telling a couple of girlfriends about how Lori and I met a while ago and I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, I met this girl and you know, it was really cool. And you know, that kind of thing versus me being how I was really was just like, wow, it was just kind of serendipitous. Like, do you know what I mean? So it's always sure just kind of, t- and I kind of read the room and I test the room. Right. And you sometimes, see, to be honest you see you, who's like, going to fan the flame. You see who's going to fan the flame. And I'm selective in who I share things with for the most part, because I know that there's certain people that are going to be like my girlfriend. So I just don't even talk about it. It's kind of, it's not like it's a forbidden subject, but it's like, you know, I just don't say when things are going really fantastic in my life. And then there's other people that I share it with and, you know, and they're all who's like, yeah, my cheerleaders, but I'm very selective about my cheerleaders. Anna, do you have anything to um, say about when that spark happened for you? Sort of a different, don't know necessarily if it was a spark, but it was a bit of a shock for me. I was um, in my early 20s when I moved to uh, Melbourne to do a work exchange with another graphic designer. And I um, found, I was on Gumtree, their Craigslist, trying to look for a place to live. And I found these three um, men around my age, um, friends that all had a house together. So I moved in with these guys and spent six months um, living with them. And uh, it was great. Had a really lovely time. Um, kind of clashed on a couple of things with regards to, you know, they were sort of home bodies and I really wanted to explore and all that sort of stuff. Um, but at the end of my time with them, I uh, they were all pretty outgoing and they would occasionally have parties and that sort of thing. And I, I had a hard time kind of really connecting with their group of friends. And I found myself quite shy in a lot of situations. Um, And I remember asking them at the very end of my time with them, um, you know, how, how was I as a flatmate? You know, what, how did you perceive me? I'm never going to see you guys again. What's, uh, you know, what's the deal? And I remember one of them saying to me um, that when I was, my antisocial state came off as arrogance and that they thought that I was, um, that I was, you know, above them or that, you know, when I didn't have something to say or when I was quiet, it was because I didn't want to contribute. And it really hit me because it was the first time that I've ever been told something that I had no awareness 
whatsoever that I was coming off that way. And it's kind of, it's, it's sat with me since then, you know, this sort of understanding of, of how we are, how we translate ourselves with others, especially in particular, like realms of being shy or quiet can come off entirely different when really you're the one sort of struggling to be like, man, what can I say? Oh, I don't, I don't know if I really want to say anything, you know, and, um, that that's always been, I'm not going to say it's something I've struggled with, but it's been something that's sat with me throughout my twenties. And now, you know, I'm in my mid thirties, um, just sort of not always knowing if you can entirely be yourself because either from a shy standpoint or from a really outgoing standpoint, um, you know, and trying to remain sort of true to, to who you really are, even if the miscommunication is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's come up a couple of times over different, in different ways. And I think that's one of the biggest things. I, it's not really a spark, but it's this idea of not really realizing how you're being perceived. And I think that that, you know, and whether that kind of puts you in a certain position and, and stops you from wanting to kind of be yourself or whatnot, or, um, that's been kind of an interesting sort of stage, I guess. So then how do you move through that? Like, what do you tell yourself? Um, at the end of the day, I'm like, if people don't get me, they don't get me. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I've got, you know, that's happened in a couple of different ways with a few different people. And I have a couple of really close girlfriends that are like, no, no, no. (laughs) Don't even think that for a second. (laughs) And so generally, yeah, it's just a reminder of, of like, you know, we all communicate in different ways and there's some that, you know, that understand us and others that don't and to just keep, keep moving forward, really. I find it interesting. It sounds like it were both, both experiences have resulted in a change of behavior. Mm-hmm. Like you change who you are because Anita, that wasn't acceptable. You were supposed to push down your exuberance and your, 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 your amazingness. And Anna, you were to, you were not being enough just for, and your silence, there was no, it didn't sound like from your story that there was any um, curiosity about who you were and why you were quiet. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's just more like, change who you are. We're all these, and this is who, you know, and if you're like more like us, then we'll all get along. Mm-hmm. That interesting. Leah, anything? I'd say for myself, there wasn't like a defining moment that I can think back to. Um, I would say that my parents separated when I was two and I have a two year younger brother. Mm-hmm. And so he was always the person making the noise and creating the scenes. And I was always the child that was aware of how annoying everyone was finding him. And so I think even from a very young age, I was just aware of how all adults were perceiving him and I. And so when we would be invited out for places, like my brother would order a steak and a pop and I would order a side salad with a water, not because I would cared about my weight, but because I was aware that people had to pay for me. Like I was always aware of what I was mm-hmm. taking from other people or 
just aware of the situations that were happening around and how could I be less annoying almost as a child, which is not the way you want to feel as a child. Right that you're always in the way or that you're scuttled back and forth between your parents who obviously have issues because that's why they're not together. Um, So I would say that um, my personality has been defined by, by figuring out what people in a room are wanting and having the ability to listen to other people. And I've gotten a lot of praise for that in my life is, is what a good listener I am. I don't talk a lot about myself. I feel very uncomfortable opening up because that's just not the place that I've been given. I'm a listener usually. Um, yeah. Hmm. So then in this, in your life now, when you read this, how have you changed that. So do you, you're so conscientious. So then you push down your desire that you have. So you would go more the opposite way of going, well, I don't, I don't want to impose. Yeah. I would say it's been really interesting because I almost have an opposite personality at work. So I have a home personality, which is very appeasing, very quiet. Um, And then I have a very loud, aggressive or assertive, I'm trying to change my wording, assertive personality at work where I do enjoy awards. I do enjoy, um, it's almost like validation of the hard work that I'm doing. But I would say I've, I've paid a lot of attention to the way that I have raised my child because she's very loud. Uh, And so I don't want to dim her light and tell her to like, calm down and keep quiet. That's not her. Like she is a show choir tab dancing, (laughs) like tornado of a human, which is not my style. Um, but I don't, I don't want her to dim down because I'm not that way. So I think that's almost the way that I've tried to figure out more how to bring who I am at home and who I am at work closer together because both parts are who I am. You know, it's interesting because when I was reading this, this first section, I, I started laughing because I imagined myself, you know, all of us kind of in a cage and then, you know, there's this, um, there's someone has come and offered you a key and you, you take the key, you, you open the cage yourself, right? Cause you have to do everything yourself and the door opens and you run out. And then when a, a, an experience happens where, you know, you don't know what to do, you run back to one of the bars that you broke and you hold it in front of your face and you imagine yourself in the cage <laughs> all over again. And you don't realize you can just like put it down. It's just a bar. It's not, you're not in the cage. And so often I think what you're all saying is there's so many times where you go back and forth between the cages. You, there's not just one cage. There's like the cage of emotion, the cage of, you know, in, in her case, sexuality and, and, and this, and religion and the cage of, um, you know, body wellness and all kinds of places where some of us will never unlock all those moments for ourselves. 
you know? Maze she's, of cages. What did you say? It's like a maze of cages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost your comfort zone. Your comfort zone is the cage, which is so awful. It's like, <laughs> this is what I know is really easy to deal with. So let me just climb back on in there. And you're like, and just when you get comfortable there, then all of a sudden you turn a corner and it's like relearning what you already know, you know, but you've kind of become complacent about it all. And then it's like, okay, let's just take one more step around this corner because then it's like, wow, a whole new world. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, remember what it was back there. And that's why it's kind of like a maze of cages is every time you turn a corner, there's another cage that you didn't even know you were in until somehow the light bulb goes on and it's like, oh my God, like I thought I was done with all this. And it's like, yeah, but that's part of the journey of discovery, right? It is. And, and again, it's like where we go, I should be grateful. I have a good life here. Yes. Let's not get crazy people. Let's not get crazy. (laughs) She says on page four, um, 10 is when the world sat me down, told me to be quiet and pointed toward my cages. These are feelings you are allowed to express. This is how a woman should act. This is the body you must strive for. These are the things you will believe. These are the people you can love. Those are the people you should fear. This is the kind of life you are supposed to want. Make yourself fit. You'll be uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Eventually you'll forget your cage and this will soon feel like life. And I think that has really been the, the beauty of this discovering here. She says, I understand myself differently now. I was just a cage girl made for wide open skies. I wasn't crazy. I was a goddamn cheetah. It's, it's really cool because this pink bunny thing that she leads out with that you think about the, the, the beauty of a pink bunny and what it means. I was thinking about my kids and when I had each of them, we gave them a little stuffed animal and it was this thing that's supposed to soothe you and warm you and hold you. And it's your thing. And I think, you know, in part of this, this, Dirty pink bunny is a real symbol of some of the things that we hold on to quite strongly and we and that represent the chasing after that that uh normal not rocking the boat like you said Anita I just chased after what would never rock the boat so I just didn't say I was successful I just didn't say that I had won and I just didn't talk about my accomplishments. But then where's the pride, the, the healthy pride? Yeah. Well, and that's you. where it's like a select few I share that with and I share different wins, but I don't share all of it. Well, I'm going to share it with my husband, but I'm now, I mean, not my last husband, but this husband. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was part of it. It was the fact that who I shared it with me and I would do my own little victory dance and my own little happy party and stuff, because then I could truly feel um, grateful and victorious and proud and all those things because my victory and pride and gratitude didn't hurt anybody else. Right. Does that make sense? It yeah, was- just makes me so sad because I know that that's not just you. Yeah. Like how awful to think that other people would feel bad because you were being the best version of yourself. Like it just. 
Well, and it was, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not a wallflower by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in the same token, there's certain things. And I, I do, um, I admire you when you talk, both of you talked about being very observant and listening and some of that sort of stuff. Because I do that, but I do that in a very different version because I will say things and then I will look to see the reaction because it's like, okay, I need to, you're being a little bit too big for everybody. Does that make sense? Is because I am that loud outgoing personality and it's kind of like, okay, you're suffocating everybody else in the room because you were just being you. So then I will be, okay, I'll just dial it back a little bit. And so I monitor all that stuff all the time, which is, it can be exhausting. So I, it's when I, when my tribe... Um, my close people, when I can just be me, it's like such a relief. I love loud people because they, (laughs) they seriously release a lot of pressure for me. I feel like Anna would agree with me here. Like when somebody's willing to take the limelight off of me, like, please do it. Yeah. And you know what? I will run with it quite often, but then I find myself being all of a sudden it'll be like, I'll be, I'll be the first one, you know, running and and then all of a sudden I'll be like, whoa. Okay, is this you being you, and are you making other people feel bad, or am I stealing the light from you, or am I making you feel um, less than because I'm brighter than, and all of that sort of thing? So then I'll stop myself and I'll be like, okay, I need to dial it back, and then I'll be like, then I'll consciously make the choice and say, hey, so how are you feeling? Like, this, do you think is it just me that thinks this is a really great idea, or how are you feeling about that? Or and I'm very much a leader, so I just will kind of take things and run with them. But it's also like I said, being conscious about. And kind of weighing out those, I don't know how else to describe it, but the power in a relationship, that push and pull and, and the back and forth and making sure that it's an even balance and I'm not kind of overpowering or overbearing. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a juggling act. I don't know how else to put it. Well, the, the self-doubt though, that's yeah. the thing that she's addressing here. You know, it's, it's really the next piece where, She's asking us, and I, I haven't, I mean, I honestly, I've read the book twice, but I haven't really until today kind of just perused her stuff or other work. So I feel kind of like, should have probably done that. But anyway, she's amazing person. And I really think in this book, if, if I was to sum up this book, I would say she's asking us to trust ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Like You're that's knowing. it. If, if, if you want, to be untamed, then learn how to trust, uh, trust yourself and, and stop trying to be good because good isn't who cares. And what happens, you know, to you and to, to all of us here, our voice, the voice that we were given diminished. So what happens to each of you or I'm just put the question out and maybe anybody can respond. We don't have to go around if you don't want to, but when did you find your voice then? Because these are, these are really, you know, pivotal things that happen in life, you know, where I think for Anna, Anna, you would be the person who had something happen maybe more in your twenties, but then that's maybe almost worse because, (laughs) because then you're really like, this is the first time someone who's lying to me, like, where am I going here? And so when, when did you find your voice and what did this do 
to amplify it? I'll start. Um, I have always journaled. I've journaled since I was eight years old. Um, and I think reading back on my journals, even now, <laughs> super embarrassing. And also they're very cyclical. Like you can see a pattern of like, I would meet a guy, I would do like X, Y, Z, and X, like it just kept going. So it was time for me to take a good hard look at me. And I think that when I started realizing um, that I would ask people what their opinions are, or they would ask me, and I've read a few books too, where why are you asking someone else for your roadmap when they have no idea? Like what Anita is going to say works for her is certainly not going to work for me in this moment. And what works for Lori isn't going to work for Anna. So it's almost like, I guess just really sitting in what Glennon said is your knowing and that inner voice inside your head. And I've also read a few books around um, The Untethered Soul is one where it teaches you that the voice inside your head is not you. And so how do you stop thinking um, that the voices are, first of all, they're not kind to -hmm. you. If they were, if they were your best friend, would they still be your best friend? Because they say very, very mean things a lot of the time. Um, and so it's calming that voice down and really sitting in like a meditative state and figuring out who you are and what you do bring to the world, because that's when you get to shine. And that's when, when you stop looking at all of your faults and you start looking at all of your strengths and what you have to offer, I think that's when you feel more authentic and not in a cocky way, but more in a, this is, this is who I am. And this is why the people in my life really love me and appreciate me. This essentially is my why. And so I'm comfortable in that at this point. And I think that people speak about it more now. Mm -hmm. And even conversations like this, just get you a little bit closer to who you're meant to be. And that who you are is, is a good person. And so I will keep on keeping on. Yeah. Well, and that's great, right? Because the, you're right about that. You know, when you, when you found your voice, um, Leah, uh, when you're talking about your, your past experience about, you know, I was a kid and I would order the salad and the water and this and that, and my brother was more out there and I was just so conscientious. Did you find your voice about that? Did you find a voice that said something different? I would say that I'm more comfortable with internal validation and I don't seek external validation anymore. So Ah. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily set all the proper boundaries that Brene Brown has taught me, um, but I'm aware of the boundaries. Um, and I'm comfortable, honestly, exiting relationships at this point that aren't furthering my growth. And I think that every day when you wake up and you want to be a better version of yourself, you're naturally going to gravitate and find people that are also on that journey. And I think it's been saying goodbye to the people that aren't on that journey and wishing them well and being okay with the fact that they're not going to be a huge player in your life anymore. And then finding people that are like-minded 
or challenging you because I do appreciate different opinions as well. Um, just internal validation, I would say, versus external validation. Very cool. Yeah, definitely. Internal validation versus external because I have a saying that if you aren't paying my mortgage, you don't get a vote. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, oh, we got to um, put that on the bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> because I've, I've had some challenges and I'm divorced, et cetera, et cetera. And when I was at the scariest, hardest time in my life, I found everybody had their two cents and I was really digging deep and I had my face buried in the carpet on a regular basis, um, trying to figure out my way and my path. And all these people had were full of opinions, but when I was really struggling. It was who was there to pick me up or to cheer me on or, you know, all of that sort of thing. And I realized that I still carried on the path that I thought I should. And then after the fact, all these people were like, oh, we knew you could do it and way to go. And I, I called them on it. I called every single one of them, including my own mother. And I said, no, 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 you did not. <laughs> you yeah. were the first to ABCD. And so after that, I just realized that um, it's not that I don't value other people's opinions, but nine times out of 10, I only ask the opinion of the people that matter in that particular situation. And I'm going to, and everyone says, oh, you make these really fast decisions. I, I actually am not a fast decision maker. I take months to make really big decisions, but I just don't share it with anybody because I don't want the old, the white noise about it because they don't have a dog in the race. So it's like, if you walk the path or I see something in you that I admire, that I would strive to be like then I'll pursue you and I'll ask your opinion and find out how you got to where you are. But other than that, your opinion is, and it's not that I don't care. I do care, but it's, it's not going to be a factor in making my decisions. Hmm. Have you heard the quote, um, the man in the arena? Oh, yes. By yes. Thomas Roosevelt. In fact, that's, that's funny. My husband actually used that to a friend of ours when we first started dating. <laughs> the man in the arena. Can Can I you the are you going to read that, Leah? I have it up if you'd like. I, could. I would love you to read that. Let's, 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 let's hear that. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in the worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Amen. Woo, I love that. That's beautiful. Yes. And the woman is in the arena. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, Anna, anything? I would say one, I was just going to, all of this chit chat made me think of um, one of the pages that I highlighted in the book, um, Let It Burn. Hmm. Uh, she talks about, my goal is not to remain the same, but to live in such a way that each day, year, moment, relationship, conversation, and crisis is the material I use to become a truer, more beautiful version of myself. And um, that that's really stuck with me lately. Um, uh, you know, um, when we were talking about sort of external and, and ex- external and internal validation, I have this interesting 
I, I don't, um, I'm one of those people that doesn't suffer from FOMO. You know, I've got a best friend who just, she just suffers so badly from it and it drives me nuts, you know, poor thing. Uh, you know, that the external validation thing has not been something that's, that's been a big issue of mine. Um, I probably thank that to my parents, um, but the internal validation is what I'm, um, you know, what I'm having to work the most on, which is interesting because there are areas of my life where um, I believe I have a very good gut microbiome. Like my gut lining is healthy because she is so strong in talking to me. I always talk to a few of my friends. I'm like, how's your gut? Because mine is like loud. (laughs) And uh, I do the, you know, in times in life when things have been hard, I have been able to lean on my gut and have made quite a few very big decisions very fast because that was really strong. And yet up here, that's a whole other battle. And I sometimes, as we all do, like really, really lose the battle in, in, it's so interesting to have so much confidence down in my tummy and not have the confidence up in my mind. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, that her little quote there about my goals remain, blah, 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 is some, you know, I think when it comes to finding my voice, I guess I'm still, I'm not finding it, but it's, it's still, it's just changing. It's just changing. And it's been changing a lot, obviously, probably for a lot of us in the last couple of years in particular, but um, yeah, transitioning from like kind of that strong voice in my tummy to that, what is this voice in my head and how, what is my relationship with her has been, um, you know, it's been, it's been really interesting, very fulfilling, but also very difficult. Mm. It still is. Read, read the untethered soul. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to read it. That's my next book. That's my next one. For me, it was people pleasing. Like I just knew at a very young age that it was, I wasn't the person. I wasn't chosen. I never was chosen. I was not a very beautiful kid. I didn't look pretty. I wasn't pretty. And I was just an other in every single part of my life. I had an extreme learning difference. Um, And there were so many other things that contributed to the breaking of my boundaries and the inability to understand who I was as a little kid. And that was probably around the same age as some of you and and Glenn and she says 10. It was when I kind of started thinking about other things. I was, I would say, Oh, I, I want to do this. I want to do that. I could be this. I could, and, and my brain kind of became, I expanded a little more. I, and that's when it was just like, yeah. And it was, you're too loud you're to this. You don't question me ever. You don't question me. You don't question God. You don't question. You question, you're in trouble. And it was very authoritative and it was very heavy on the patriarch. And in my life, I just had to learn um, that, well, I, I barely learned it and I'm learning to love myself 
which I haven't ever done. So that's really uncomfortable for me. <laughs> just like not in, it's the hot seat all day long. It's just hot, 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 hot. And like you, Anna, the self-talk in my head is the thing that is just slaying me. It's just killing me. And I've been taking um, some meditation um, time and I've been, I used to be, I was doing it twice a day because I just couldn't hold it. And I was just going, it was so hot that I just had to get that space and breathe. And now I find that the one thing that's helped me is the alignment of my own, my own mind, my own body, and that knowing. And it just becomes this when I meditate. And it's just 15 minutes or whatever, but it's very, very helpful. Um, any other places for any of anyone that just really jumped out in the book? Oh, I loved when she talked about um, when she was talking or, or Elizabeth Gilbert gave her the analogy when she was talking about going inside yourself and then weighing out the decision-making process. And does that feel warm to your soul or does that feel cold to your soul? And I thought I loved that analogy because I very much filter lots of things through my soul and my guts and all of that sort of stuff. And I loved it because I, um, I love the analogy of, you know, we have two, two kinds of feelings. Like we as North Americans have it, our million descriptions of our feelings. Cause we always talk feelings and I'm this and I'm that, and I'm happy and I'm sad and I'm mad and I'm this and I'm that. Um, but it's, boils it down to two types of feelings they're either yucky feelings or yummy feelings and that's it and when she said that it's either it makes you feel warm or it makes you feel cold and I love that because if in when you're kind of wrestling with some of those decisions and you're I always go with my guts but in the same token it was just I had to do a couple decisions in the past couple of weeks and that was exactly what I thought it was like I need to cut through it all does this make you feel cold or does this make you feel warm and that was it yeah, yeah. How, um, how about you, Anna? Any other one other than let it burn? Um, I've got a few little highlighted and folded pages. <laughs> uh, just another, um, when she's talking to Tish, um, they go through that little section in talks uh, where it's like a uh, 12 year old me and then 12 year old Tish and the difference between herself and her daughter. I thought that was really yeah. great. Um, one of them is um, uh, Tish says, uh, Chase wants me to join the same club he joined in middle school. I don't want to. Me, so don't. Tish, but I don't want to disappoint him. Me, listen, every time you're given a choice between disappointing someone else and disappointing yourself, your duty is to disappoint that someone else. Your job throughout your entire life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. Oh. And then I also love that Tish goes, even you? And she goes, especially me. <laughs> that's that little like, oh, that, that was a good little cue. Um, but that's, you know, that's like, what a, what a powerful thing to say to your daughter, you know? And I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Love that. I, 
I also thought that that one was really important for me. But the other one, do you remember in the book where she talked about the boys and the girls in the room and, and the, oh my gosh, yes. Yes. And how the girls looked at each other and they to see whether they wanted to eat or not. Yeah. She, I have it highlighted. She goes, the boys looked inside themselves. The girls looked outside themselves. And then she goes, we forgot how to know when we learned how to please. God. And that, yeah, that scenario. Oh. But also the fact that they all did the same thing just same teaches thing. us that it's society that's made us like this. Made us like that and, and the cage part of it. Um, I like how she, and I don't know if this has even come up in the book. So correct me, but there's some measure of restructuring love that I feel from this book, the untamed version, because for her, she has, you know, she left, she, her husband, actually, I think, you know, he had some issues. They were in therapy and there was a whole bunch of stuff. Like her story is amazing, but She's talking about loving and falling in love with Abby and how that was for her such a big, huge, expansive moment where she's just standing there, her arms out, like just like, hi. <laughs> and the thing is that it really struck me that we, she, it sounds like she still loves her husband in the sense that he, maybe not like, you know, romantically and all of that, but it's definitely um, coming across like there's goodwill there. There's compassion, there's kindness, there's love. And I just made me think about, you know, so many of us, how love is restructured for us and how you know, you divorce someone, you, you, you are estranged from someone. People come into your life as a love gift and they can leave too, you know, and you can make this like love doesn't have to be in a box, in a box forever. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I would prefer it. I've been married with Dave for 26 years and we, we have a great connection and, and I would love to see that happen forever. There's no desire on my side to move that in a different direction, but there are people in my life where love has been restructured and it, it isn't about, I don't love you. It's about, um, that was for a time and, and that's okay. And she gives this permission to say, you trust yourself. If you love someone, but you have to let them go because they are asking, they, they are telling you, you are disappointing them too many times. Then you can let them go and you can still love them. And you can still appreciate that you had them. They served a purpose. However, they showed up for you, changed you, grew you, transformed you. And we can celebrate that. I was really taken by that. Yeah. I, um, it's almost like it's not necessarily about 
the person, it's about your connection and relationship. And, um, you know, I, another folded page, <laughs> uh, chapter, uh, lies. She says, um, my friend and I are lying on the couch, marveling, crying, and laughing about all that all we've let burn and rebuilt during the past couple of years. Um, when I say, I uh, then I left my family, she stopped laughing. Don't say that. Don't say things to yourself that aren't true. You didn't leave your family, not for a single moment. You didn't even leave your husband. You left your marriage. That's it. And so I feel like, wow you know, she has been able to maintain this beautiful connection with her kids' fathers, her, her kids' father, um, outside of the marriage, because it was the marriage that wasn't bringing them, you know, wow. what they needed, or, you know, it was at a time, and then it changed. And I think, you know, maybe that sort of speaks to what you're talking about. There's this, um, you know, together they weren't suited anymore, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't meant to be in each other's lives. And I think that's a really sad thing about a lot of relationships is when they end, you think about all this time you've shared with someone and just because you guys can't be together anymore, doesn't mean that they I think they made like those two in particular, I've read a little bit about them and she got pregnant accidentally. So they made the best of that situation. Um, he cheated on her. And so that's what they were going to therapy for. And then I think um, they obviously worked through it. But when they moved from Florida to California, they weren't moving without him. Like he came across all of America and he's still part of their family. And she's very comfortable saying that, like Craig is our family. And I have this quote um, from her too that says, there's no set way to live, love, raise children, arrange a family, run a school, community, and nation. Norms were created by somebody and each of us is a somebody. You are somebody and can make your own normal. You can throw out all the rules and write your own. You can build your life from the inside out. So stop asking what the world wants from you. Instead, ask yourself what you want from the world. Wow. Great. That's really helpful because I, I didn't know that. So Leah, you're, you're, thank you for that because, <laughs> um, but I get so inspired by people that sometimes I just choose to not dig further. I just get so, I don't want any outside voice. I just want the information that I'm receiving from like the joy of reading it. And I just find she, she is moving to a label and ripping the label and, mm -hmm. and the, give, letting us go like this, right, Anita? Like we can just tear it up. We can, we can look at the beliefs that we had as children or the religion that we grew up in and say, I trust myself enough. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty powerful. It's really powerful. I had some circumstances in the past. I had a near-death experience. And then at that point in time, I went back and I literally was doing the whole, why am I here? What is my purpose? You know, all those sorts of things. And I really dug deep and I decided that, okay, my life wasn't the way I wanted it to. And these rules were, or rules, bullshit rules <laughs> um, <laughs> that I grew up with um, weren't serving me anymore. So I went back to the drawing board and I remember I, I had like, I probably wrote three notebooks that year 
and I'm not a journaler, but I just, it was just my books of thoughts. And it was like, okay, so if time and money was of no consequence, what would your life look like? And this belief that you have, where does that come from? Is that something that you were raised to believe or is that really your truth or is that a truth you were taught or is, and I really ripped apart my life and I, I ended up getting divorced and I ended up moving and I ended up getting a new career and the whole thing, because I said, no, no, no. If I've been blessed with a second chance, so to speak, I'm going to tear the walls of my world down because my way I had, a, you know, you have all these ideas, which I mean, everybody does that. This is the, you know, a plus B equals C. And I realized that um, I didn't want C, nor was I pursuing that, but that was everybody else's thoughts and beliefs about how to do this. And so I literally started reading and pouring through stuff. And I was just like, I'm going to dismantle my life and I'm going to accept the responsibility that you do not have a freaking clue what you're doing. Otherwise, you would have this amazing magical life and you don't. So anytime I got to like A plus B, I would stop because it doesn't equal C, I would add C equals J. And I would purposely do something totally different that I'd never done before because I'm like, you know, the whole definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I said, no, no, no. And so I did. And I did that with everything, with my friends. I changed a lot of friends. And and it wasn't um, like you talk about evolving or redefining things. I redefined everybody and everything in my life. And there was a lot of people that were left behind and not because I didn't love them anymore, but it was, I loved me more and they weren't adding to my journey, so to speak, or they weren't, they were kind of, um, they, they were fantastic in my life at the time, but where I was going, they couldn't, they couldn't come with me because I was moving to in a different direction. And people aren't always really happy when you start making those kinds of changes. And that's, a whole nother story, but, um, yeah, very true about that whole loving people for who they are, not necessarily the cast that we're kind of creating. Would you say that that was a spark for you then? Oh, that yeah. sounds like that's like the, the big, I mean, near death experience is, is really, um, w- that it's like you've you were going one way and then you turned and there the idea of being hindered or inhibited or suppressed was no longer who you were um yes and no my attitude was you know you only got one kick at the cat and so I my goal was always I'm gonna nail that sucker to the wall like whatever it is like whatever that looked like. And still, and I've, I've since redone, not done to that same degree, but I keep kind of revamping and redoing as I grow and evolve because I never want to go back to that complacency again. They say, she says uh, in one of the sections here, actually, uh, blowjobs. She says, she says, she has these words that I just love because that it was actually really sad for me to read that. She taught, she went to her therapist with, um, with her husband and to work on after he admitted that he'd been sleeping with other women. And so, um, she, she went to the therapist and she said, I've fallen in love. Um, I'm wildly in, in love. Her name is Abby. 
the therapist's mouth falls open just enough for, for me to notice that she says nothing for an eternal moment. And then she breathes very, very deeply and says, okay, Glennon, you know that whatever this is, it's not real. These feelings are not real. Whatever future you're imagining here, that's not real either. This is nothing but a dangerous distraction that won't end well. It has to stop. She then explains, but I cannot sleep with him again. You know how hard I've tried. Sometimes I think I've forgiven and then he climbs on top of me and I hate him again. It's been years and I don't want it to be difficult. So I close my eyes and try to float away until it's over. And this is still like, this is a therapist. So not trying to judge, but I'm just saying, this is like where the beauty is here, right? This is where you empower someone and you listen to them. And instead she said, well, Glennon, have you just tried to give him blowjobs instead? Many women find blowjobs to be less intimate. So not to live like you're saying, Anita, to live out of this, oh my God, this truth, this spark, this beauty, I'm doing this. I've got a second chance. You said you just had a near-death experience. You almost died. You know how that works and you didn't go. So you stayed and now you're going to change the course of your life. She's in therapy sitting there going, I need help. I like, help me unpack this. No, that's less intimate. Let's find something that's less intimate for you. Well, and the thing is what I realized was a really big deal to me really wasn't a big deal to other people. Like it was huge in my life, but everybody else was kind of business as usual. And I realized that that sometimes we go through these really big changes internally or like we open our own cage and we come out and we're the, you know, we're the the cheetah saying, here I am, I'm roaring right now. And everybody else is like, oh yeah, you know, pass the popcorn. I'm still going to carry on my life, what I'm doing. Right. And you realize that it's maybe really big for you, but it's not necessarily big for everybody else, which that's okay. Um, But just realizing that too, because you kind of have to, when you, you know, go figure out your stuff. And I still like even rereading this book, it was just kind of like really ignited that, okay, I've got to revisit some of this stuff and, you know, unpack the things that I haven't been true to in the last few years because I've kind of gotten complacent and comfortable and all of those things. Can I just say that after listening to you read the last excerpt, I actually just thought through what a responsibility all of us have as the person listening and what advice we choose to give people. Because quite often in my line of work, um, people act like I am a psychologist or a therapist, uh, which is not true. I'm, I can listen, but my advice is not in any way, shape or form educational. But after listening to that uh, therapist, I feel like I would do better than her. So maybe I should give it a shot because... <laughs> Can you imagine being that person when someone just vulnerably for the first time says, I'm a lesbian and this all makes sense why I have not wanted my husband, which has felt like a war zone. And the person just goes, yeah, suck it up. Give him a blowjob. Like I've been watching too many TikToks, but my, my response is immediately. No, immediately. No, immediately. No, immediately. No. Um, Immediately, no. Mm. But where did she learn that? So, yeah. 
right? Like it's not, then what is interesting here, and I'd love to hear Glennon talk about this because my thought goes to where did the therapist have, and why did she have that response? Like, what was it about that that was not, she was not able to hear the need for the listen and the unpack and the, and the connection piece. Like why not honor this momentous moment for her? And how many other people have been in that situation with a therapist who is somebody with a PhD and their entire life has been derailed because they've just stayed in their cage based on that person's opinion for them? I think um, I'm now trying to think about whether this is actually later on in the book or not, but I think she talks a little bit about women empowering women and how, you know, the popular girl, everyone hates, even though she's living her true self and she's trying to be bold and bright and pretty and do everything she wants to do. And maybe there's an element there of, of, you know, Oh, wow. You're, you're discovering more about your sexuality. You're taking these massive leaps like, oh, you know, don't do that because we don't want the women in our lives to be lifted up. You know, or there's, there, there's a, some sort of element there, right? Where they, we, uh, you know, I can't remember. I think it's in the, I think it's in the book where am I just thinking about this, something randomly, but, um, you know, maybe there's that idea of, of kind of keep, not only keep our cage, but sort of keep, keep other ladies cages because keep bright, everybody small. It's better that way. Small because the big, you know, big, bold girls that are doing different things are, are scary. Well, also they were in Florida. So when you think about just politics or how people grow up in maybe more red States, um, maybe that's the way they were raised is that that or just, might be wrong. Or you're just putting a jacket over the ribbons. You're just putting a jacket on the ribbons and saying to your, 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 this person, pull it down so that no one sees that you're winning every race, that you're super athletic and that you win at everything that you're working your butt off in to, to get, pull yourself out of the gutter. You're, you're working your butt off to become something but now that you're becoming it, let's just tone it down. That to me is more like someone who has a negative self-narrative, who is listening to trying to be active in someone's life and their own person, private life has sleeped in by accident. And, um, and how many of us are doing that? Like, it's just, in, it's just amazing to me. It's amazing to me. I, I don't quite know what to say about that. You know, I, I do know that I had an experience and maybe it rubs me the wrong way. I think you're all going to tell me that it's it truly rubbed me the wrong way, that there's no maybe here, <laughs> but, but I was raised to believe that I was not educated that I was not able to be smart enough, that I was just, we're here. Everyone else is here. 
And that's okay for us. We've accepted it. So it kind of grates me because that's painful. The lack of, of acknowledgement is painful to someone. I can only imagine how Glennon felt in the chair going, but this is so real. Like her, I had a dream. I wanted to be a pediatrician. And, and I'm not saying that I'm not successful or that my career, you know, would have been better being a doctor. I, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying when you have something that you have, that you feel in your cells and you know from your knowing, as she talks about, that is true and right and honest and it's there and it's bigger than anything. What's it to you that that person does it? You definitely need somebody to believe in you when you're younger though. Like maybe, and maybe not a parent, but you need a teacher. You need some figurehead that tells you that you can do it. Otherwise, you just, you stop chasing your dreams when people just tell you that you can't do it when well, you're that young. Well, then you lock yourself in the cage. You literally yeah. are free. You're out and you go and someone says, do you want to um, read a book? And you just go, no. And you turn around and go and walk in the cage and close the door. Then mm-hmm. I did that for decades. Decades. So I've got a lot of time to catch up. <laughs> I'm what catching think, up, everyone. What do you think? This is just kind of a random question that just popped in my head. What would your life, and you don't have to share, but it's just a, a rhetorical question. What would each of your lives have looked like had you not been caged? Ooh, I like that. Okay. And it's not necessarily, like you said, because that's, that's deep and very personal, but... Love it. It's just for thought because that was one of the questions that came to me and my mind when I was reading this is had I not been and I had more significant adults in my life that were positive influences and during me on, but had I not been caged, what, where would I be now versus where I am? It's hard to even imagine because who knows the people that you would have met on that different path that would have encouraged you to continue becoming the person that you wanted to be. Um, I -hmm. don't choose not to. I think everything has been um, divinely orchestrated and the, the the decisions that I made, I I believe were blessed and, and carried me down the paths that I needed to go. But in the same token, it's more of a curiosity than a regret as to wondering what that would look like. Mm-hmm. For me, um, well, I didn't even know I had a cage mm-hmm. and I didn't know, I mean, there was no way I was raised in a very, very religious family. I went to a Christian school. What cage are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like there's no cage here. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was just very, it was this cookie cutter where I didn't have, I wasn't slowed down enough to even know 
that there's this thing called a cage. I didn't really even, I wasn't really taught that I could imagine. I wasn't taught that I could believe in the possibilities being endless. I, my own children know that, but I, I did not. I taught myself and I didn't teach myself until I had my absolute spiritual awakening when I was um, 34. So everything from there to now is like all self-taught and hard fought and is the case is now I can see the cages, but Anita, when I was there, that was, that was all I knew. Mm-hmm. So well, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And it's, as you go on the journey, like I'm sure I'll look back five years from now and say, what the hell was I thinking? In 2020? Totally. totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, because, you know, I, sh- I really thought I had it going on 10 years ago. It's like, Ooh, um, that's not necessarily the case, but you know, it's interesting though, that you asked that question and I love it so much because the real answer for me is, you know, I think we're made to have cages because if there's no friction, then how do you know how to go higher? Where's your orientation? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you don't, No. Yeah. The contrast. If you don't know that there's pain, then what is pain? It's like, how do you know that chocolate ice cream is your favorite if you've never tried any other kind? Well, you guys talk about Africa and I've never been. I have no idea. Mm. Yeah. But I still think that we don't need to be caged. Like, I don't think there needs to be a patriarchy that's working against like females or the rich working against the poor. Right. Um, I I still think we would struggle because we're humans. So we're going to make really bad choices and our hearts are going to break and we'll learn from that. And Mm. spirituality I think is individual. And so that's always a journey and an individual journey, no matter how you're raised. And so I think that would create friction as well. But I just think that it would be a different world if little girls and little boys weren't told that they weren't allowed to do this or they can do this. Like boys still aren't allowed to wear skirts. Why? Why is it weird? Right. I agree with you. Girls wear pants. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like we fought so hard at the beginning And so like as females, we have more ability, I guess, at this point to be more in men things. But I feel like because men didn't fight very hard, if at all, to try to be more feminine. And you almost see that fight happening now for them where they're like, I want to play with a Barbie. I want to paint my nails. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely, and that, that really hit a lot when she starts in the book, when she talks about, you know, American boys being raised. Um, That's something that, you know, we're seeing more and more, as you say, you know, these men's groups and that sort of, you know, men wanting to be vulnerable and oh, there's, I don't think I folded the page. She talks about how, um, oh no, I think I did. Um, She talks about how, 
um, boys learn that they're, ah, okay. I'll just read a little snippet of it. Um, men are caged too. The parts of themselves they must hide to fit into those cages are the slices of their humanity that our culture has labeled feminine. Traits like mercy, tenderness, softness, quietness, kindness, humility, uncertainty, empathy, connection. We tell them, don't be these things because these are feminine things. Be anything but feminine. And then it goes on to say, the problem is that the part of themselves that our boys have been banished from are not feminine traits. They are human traits. And I just, I um, have um, a large network of men in my life who it's interesting that sort of 25 to 35, I'm only 34 now, so I can't really go beyond um, that age where girls are learning a lot about themselves. They're supporting one another. They're going through these battles. They're breaking through. And I think right now, an even bigger tragedy is the men that are so far behind. Because yeah, so far. They're not supporting one another. And they're still, you know, oh, dude, that's so gay. Why would you say that? Or like, what, you're crying? Like, don't be vain. You know, that is still so much a part of like grown up men. And I see it all the time. And it's, um, you know, I even have friends who are really struggling to find male companionship and they hang out with women more often because they're sick and tired of all this crap. And I think that that's going to be a really, you know, when, when she started talking about it in this book, it really hit home for me because I think that that's kind of the new, I'm not going to say it's new, but there's a, there's going to be a lot more focus now, I think on bringing men forward to this age where they can just take a breath, you know, and feel supported and be vulnerable and know that it's not feminine. It's just being human. But I think that's also the way that, again, the patriarchy designed it. Like anything that is female is bad and you must banish it. And so anything labeled anything feminine is like, stay away, you're gross, you're not a good man. And I do think that the boys of this generation, though, will start breaking through because of the parents at Mm. this point. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's an amazing conversation. I think that that's really appropriate. And I often wonder like, why are men not, I don't hear from men on this book at all. I actually told some, uh, a male friend of mine to read this book and I should have checked in with them on it. I'd love to have a conversation with more men because, um, this is so essential you know, this is for humans. This is not just for women. Um, the, from my, my relationship, I have got two, I have two sons and, and I have a partner that I've been with for, known him for 30 years and loved him for almost 30 years. Um, and I can just say that for a man to feel the weight of the family, like, why? <laughs> you know, it, it, there's all of these like crying or, um, when we do that well here, we try to do as best we can. Um, but I see so many people who 
they're just so disconnected from that introspection and the leaning into the emotion. What she's asked us to do is look at emotion and lean in and not away. And, Mm -hmm. and that is the most beautiful thing ever in my view. I just, I love it. So as we wrap up, anything anyone wants to say at the, you know, as a last sort of encouragement or something that's really stuck out? I'd like to say that you've raised your boys very well. Emotionally in tune. I worked with both of them, just so you guys know. (laughs) Okay. Lovely, lovely men, I will say. I'm pretty proud of them. I am. And they, it makes my eyes water. I, I think for me, um, I was going through a really terrible time and, and they both just came and, you know, they just, just, they knew when to stand, they knew when to sit, they knew when to say that moment of encouragement and they knew when to step back, but they also know how to articulate and surround themselves with this deep understanding and and to your point and I think that there's a change happening because as women shift we shift this intuitive power this like we shift it and then the men come alongside as well but they're so used to being the guy on the wall the guy in the guard and the you know the the warrior king and um and I am looking forward to more conversation in the day that we can actually, you know, embrace these kinds of conversations and have 15 men sitting here going, oh man, this, this is where I was caged, you know, because it's a very locked up dissociative, like a dissociative thing. Don't think about this or, and a lot of men are having anxiety now, um, I've noticed, um, along with females as well. It's just a very big human condition, but I think for the men in particular, it's been a big struggle, a big weight. So anything else? Um, how, much, how long do we have? No, I'm kidding. Because um, <laughs> you know me, I love to talk. This isn't coffee with me in three hours. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oops, um, look at the time. Where the heck are we right now? It's, it's dinner and we were just there for breakfast. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's amazing. And I think it's really important that you have, um, you've created a soft, safe place for everyone to be able to share with, which I think that's important. I don't think we do this often enough. I think that, um, and that's why I was certainly open because it's like, Um, I always love to learn and grow and hear other people's perspectives and their stories because you don't know what you don't know and what everybody brings to the table um, is different. And it just, yeah, thanks for having us and hosting us. And and I loved it. I love the book. (laughs) I will do this again. I want to read Untethered Soul, Uh, Leah. I appreciate that. And maybe Anna, we, yeah. Maybe we need to read that. And and Anita, have you read Untethered Soul? Yes, I have. It's Michael Singer. I'm staring at it right now on my bookshelf. It's fantastic. Oh, dear. Maybe we all need to meet again and de- sure. debrief that book. But I think there's more books to be read and more things to be had. And um, 
I just think that we've all, I felt like, I just want to say thank you to all of you for stepping in and stepping up and, you know, this can be heard all over the world. And that is like, can strike fear into the core of most people, but, (laughs) but not the three of you. And I think a beautiful, a small group is great because it's helpful. You can get that, you know, that deep feeling of, and, and really dive into some of these places, but thank you. Thank you for bringing us into these sacred things for you. You know, life is sacred. And I believe that these experiences that each of us have had are a sacred offering, not only to express them to others, but they're an, they're an encouragement back to us, a recycling of that, like, that's what happened. And then here's the jewel. And you were able to do that and articulate that today. And, and I want to thank Glennon Doyle for leading us to the dirty pink bunny and what the cage looks like. And, and the words, I should be grateful. I have a good life here. I don't ever want to say that. I don't. What I want to say is I am so appreciative that things are coming clearer for me every day and I'm willing every day to keep showing up for all of the work I've put in, for all the work I'm going to put in. I'm going to rise every day. I'm going to show up and I'm going to be appreciative. So thank you all. Thank you, Glennon. And thank you for um, joining me this evening. It's been a privilege. I appreciate each of you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for doing the work.